welcome to a new episode of Vogue Digest, the podcast uncovering Vogue magazine one edition at a time. It is time to uncover Vogue Scandinavia and we dive into the third issue showcasing Malika Holman on the cover. We are again fairly impressed as we see a creative take on the beauty section, some great fashion and interesting stories representing the talent Scandinavia beholds. However, an advertisement by H&M leaves us quite confused. Keep listening to the full review to have your Vogue uncovered. This is Josefina, and this is Vogue Digest. And we are back in the world of Vogue Scandinavia. The last time we discussed Vogue Scandinavia, it was a bit of a special one. It was our very first episode, and we reviewed the very first issue of Vogue Scandinavia ever published. In many ways, that episode is my personal favorite out of all the episodes we have done so far, as we truly got in there right in the beginning of Vogue Scandinavia's journey. Absolutely, I see where you're coming from, Josephine, and it definitely has a very special place in my heart because, like you said, it's the very first episode we recorded here at Vogue Digest, and it was so much fun. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to it because it's tremendous fun. As we know, Vogue Scandinavia is the most recent edition by Conde Nast, and today's discussion is on the third issue from Vogue Scandinavia, the combined December 2021 and January 2022 issue. Last time we were fairly impressed, but we shall see if Vogue Scandinavia keeps delivering. Also, major news, just a few days ago, Martina Bonnier, the chief editor of Vogue Scandinavia, commented on our Instagram post. What is going on here? I mean, it's very exciting. Um, it was the post introducing our new initiative, My Vogue Story, where any of our listeners can be featured on our po- podcast. Yeah, it was um, a very I... exciting moment. And uh, we at Vogue Digest were very honored to have um, Martina sort of take notice of us. And we're looking forward to delving into this new issue and all of the issues to come and giving our honest opinion as always. And actually, in addition to Martina, Vogue Singapore's chief editor, Norman Tan, also showed us some love, which again is just incredible. You we're know, I just lucky. love how Mar- Yeah, I just love how Martina is very involved in the Instagram game and mm-hmm. connecting with her readers in real time. Absolutely. You can tell that she's she's not afraid to get her hands in there, if that makes sense. And she's an editor-in-chief that feels approachable. She's not this mysterious, hazy persona. And that just makes the magazine all the more appealing, in my opinion. Exactly. But let's begin with the cover. Uh, the cover portrays Scandinavia's next generation, the supermodel in the making, Malaika Holman, who is changing the face of Nordic fashion. She is pictured in a sleek hairdo, a golden ear cuff, and a full outfit from Louis Vuitton menswear, a white oversized blazer, and bright green trousers. By the way, I really admire her haircut. It's so fresh. Uh, how do you find this cover, Maria? Any thoughts on the makeup, perhaps? Well, the makeup is very alluring in the sense that it's very natural. Uh, so they have managed to perfectly complement um, 
Malaika's skin tone and uh, her undertones as well. She's a bit neutral, leaning perhaps on the golden side. So they have managed to enhance that rather than hide it. Or because sometimes I feel like mm. models of color, the the foundation choice isn't always right, and they end up looking a bit gray. That's not the case here whatsoever. So she just looks beautiful and enhanced. And I feel like this falls in line with the Scandinavian aesthetic, like we discussed in the previous uh, podcast where we discussed Scandinavian Vogue, that it's all about being naturally yourself, isn't it? So yeah, I'm impressed. I agree. I agree. A uh, few words on the designer Malaika is wearing. Louis Vuitton, the French fashion house and luxury goods company established in 1854, is very much at the forefront of leading fashion houses worldwide. Uh, the company's CEO, Bernard Arnault, is among the wealthiest men in the world, reported in 2021. And Louis Vuitton, known for its monogram and leather goods, forms part of the LVMH group, which carries other luxury brands, including Christian Dior, Kenzo, Tiffany & Co., and so on. Um, besides the high fashion clothing, I think the values of Vogue Scandinavia are present, even with this cover. The image is clearly photographed outside, and we see nature and trees in the background. Yeah, I see where you're coming you know, from. Obviously, it doesn't have the same impact in terms of nature or a natural setting like the first cover did or the, the cover with Greta Thunberg. But it made sense then to have a very um, impactful way of showcasing Scandinavian nature. Whereas this, it feels modern because it's showcasing Scandinavians' next generation, but it still incorporates the essence that we talked about in the first episode, which is all about the love of nature. So this is wonderful for sure. Mm. And you know, do you recognize Malaika from somewhere else? Perhaps another magazine we recently reviewed? Yeah, that's a very clever um, spot. Um, I, I had trouble recognizing her at first, but then I flicked through the magazine mm. to her images uh, accompanying her interview and her fashion spread, and I recognized her immediately. She was the cover of the skincare special in the British Vogue November issue that we also reviewed here on our podcast, and it's great to see her just you know, really be an up-and-coming star, and I think she's going to go far. Indeed. Yeah, it's the Adele episode, um, our episode number two, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, additionally, I'm very pleased to see that only a third cover of Vogue Scandinavia ever published is with a brown model as their cover star. Um, this is representation, this is diversity in action, and the next generation of models is increasingly diverse compared to what we are used to seeing in the past. Um, yeah, I'm I'm pleased. I'm pleased with this. I agree with you. It, um, what are your thoughts on the fact that she's wearing menswear? Yeah, that is very interesting, and we'll actually come on to that um right. very shortly. Um, but but it's exciting. Um, I think Vogue Scandinavia is with the times, with that. Um, but let's discuss the glossary. Um, before that, some new observations about the glossary this time. You know, in our last episode on Vogue Scandinavia, we were very impressed with the glossary. Um, the verdict was that the emphasis on pictures um, makes for a better experience for the reader. So something new I noticed this time around is the changing icons next to the page number. 
They have one for accessories, beauty, culture, fashion, even one for the cover story.、Mm-hmm. And okay, so look, I like the idea of these icons, but perhaps the delivery is less successful.、Um, what What do I mean is that these icons represent have actually nothing to. Sorry, represented have actually nothing to do with fashion or beauty or accessories, and so I'm really not sure they add that much to my reading experience. For them to be useful, I would first have to memorize the icon for the thing that interests me the most.、Um, what 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 do you think? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. They're not perhaps、um, a typical representation of, you know, for example, I might not associate a flower with、um, fashion or that kind of thing or with beauty.、Um, so yeah, I see where you're coming from. That the icons aren't necessarily clearly identifiable with what they're trying to. To make them、um, associated with, but I I think it's still a valuable effort, you know, in the sense that it's different, it's original, it's captivating to the reader, and I think it adds to the glossary, even if it's just in terms of、uh, aesthetic. Yeah, and you know, I was going to say that having said that, outside of the practicality,、um, the icons seem to embody this element of Scandinavian design,、mm. um, which we really appreciate in Vogue Scandinavia. For sure. But moving on to the letter from the editor,、um, in our previous episodes we have been quite harsh on the letter from the editor.、Uh, we think it should not be an extended glossary and rather offer a personal touch from the editor, so that we can feel closer to them,、um, feel like we know them. This is what we yearn for. <laughs> so has Martina Bonnier,、um, the editor in chief of Vogue Scandinavia, delivered on our wishes? In your opinion. Well,、um, she starts off the、um, the editor's letter beautifully. First of all, I, I have to mention that I really like her picture with Malika. I think it's charming. It's、mm. natural.、Um, it, it feels almost candid in a way.、Um, And but... it's again this. I was just gonna say it's again showing this Martina is approachable.、Um, yeah, I, I I love that. Yeah, that's one of the observation. Yeah. I was just gonna say that while towards the end it does fall back to oh in the editorial you'll see this、uh, in this issue we find this and、uh, flipping through the the most treasured fashion that kind of thing but she does it in a way where she adds her opinion she adds her input for example she describes、um, the editorial the boy and the pearl earring which we're gonna discuss later on as I think it's one of the highlights of this magazine um she also she she says that it's a deeply felt Personal story about growing up. It's written beautifully with so much humanity, and it brought several members of our team, including me, to tears, and also including me, to be honest. But we're gonna get to that. And I like the way that she's still doing what we sort of say. Oh, we don't like to see this, but she's adding her own flair. She's adding her own opinion, and it adds to the magazine and to the different pieces that she's saying. Because now I'm gonna go into the pearl. The boy and the pearl earring, and you know, kind of be prepared that okay, this is going to be really emotional and heartfelt, which it is. So mm, I, I'm actually quite、mm. pleased with this editor's letter in the sense that it adds、mm. something to it. Yeah, what I can say is that I am so impressed with Martina how she is leading Vogue Scandinavia with these extremely important topics that deserve and quite frankly need a spot in a fashion publication like Vogue. 
Um, she talks about how the line between male and female fashion has blurred. Female models are seen on the runway showcasing menswear and vice versa. Meanwhile, a new crop of gender-fluid faces refuse to be put into any category. She goes on to say that since the first issue, Vogue Scandinavia has sought to showcase diverse talents with everything they do. And I have to say, I think that's true. It is evident from what we have seen so far. Um, I mean, well done. In this issue, for example, we have the article Girl on Fire on page 186, showcasing Subal Omar, the Somali Norwegian model who in 2020 made history as the first black trans curve model to appear in British Vogue. Wow. Um, that article is a great one, by the way. Also shining light on the pivotal changes that are needed to pr protect the safety of trans people, not only in fashion, but in society as a whole. So, you know, having said all that, I, I am impressed with Martina and I'm very excited um, for what's to come. Absolutely, and if you... I love that they're emphasizing um, talent and um, Norwegian excellence in the sense that, for example, they highlight this artist uh, entitled The Ocean Sculptor, um, where they uh, do ceramic artworks that are shaped by the ocean, and they're just beautiful. And not only are you highlighting Nor Nor um, Scandinavian talent, you're also highlighting this love for nature that seems to be so profound uh, and profoundly moving in talent as well. So, yeah, uh, Volkswagen really definitely has a special place in our heart. Mm. If you turn to the next page, interestingly, we see the fast fashion giant H&M being advertised. I am quite skeptical of this, and the circular design story they refer to does not really convince me. I don't think H&M is a company truly aligned with the values of Vogue Scandinavia and the values they wish to portray. You know, it's not new news that fast fashion companies are at the forefront of contributing to the extensive pollution levels imposed by the fashion industry. The story of H&M Group obviously is very intertwined with that of the modern fashion industry. Um, it is the fashion company that pioneered fa Swedish fashion, though be a fast fashion to a global audience. Um, Erling Persson opened his first store, H&M store, carrying a different name at the time, in Sweden in 1947, after a visit to the United States where the U.S. high-volume stores like Neiman Marcus inspired him. Um, his son Stefan took over in 1982 and built a global supply chain, turning to inexpensive factories in developing countries to push out off-the-runway looks at such low prices that customers could treat them as disposable. And the goal from the very beginning was to take this democratic point of view to fashion, like what IDEA did by making furniture affordable to the masses. Um, Maria, they also feature an H&M beauty line later on mm -hmm. in the magazine. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so they have a picture of uh, a blue sort of eye look uh, that is associated mm. with H&M beauty. And um, much like you, I felt a sense of uh, disappointment because like we were discussing, Vogue Scandinavia is all about talent intertwined with this love of nature. 
and sustainability. So to see H&M was a little bit jarring, but just a little bit of background on H&M Beauty. It was launched in 2015 under Sarah Wallander as its beauty concept designer. She is Swedish and a self-entitled culinary and addict. So we can see, we can truly see the, um, the sort of the Scandinavian blood uh, entrenched within H&M as a brand and as its entity. But um, it, for me, it's um, it was surprising the big splash that H&M made in the beauty scene. Uh, whereas now, for example, it's not necessarily um, a brand that is popular, for, at least in the British beauty scene. I remember in 2015 when it was launched, everyone was going crazy over it just because of its prices. And this was at a time that um, beauty was still something that was slightly unattainable, but was becoming now something that was a mass interest. So H&M really managed to come in at the right time. And uh, one thing that sort of differentiated it from other beauty brands was as Sarah Wallander stated in an interview with Vogue magazine, nonetheless, that H&M beauty was to be for everyone. That's been super important from day one. Um, and this might be interpreted in the sense that they released 20 different shades of foundation uh, from alabaster to ebony. Um, but w w I think this for everyone came with a very big cost, which was low prices uh, at the cost of um, poor sustainability principles. And, you know, when we go into H&M and we see th their beauty line, we have to ask ourselves, why is it so dirt cheap? Especially when it's on sale, you can buy blushes for like a pound uh, or a dollar. Mm. And um, we need to ask ourselves why. Yeah, considering the impact H&M has had in the fashion industry as well, I can sort of understand why Vogue Scandinavia wants to include them. I understand that dynamic, you know, as Vogue Scandinavia is headquartered in Stockholm. But overall, it is a fact that H&M is also very much to blame for the state of the waste and pollution imposed by the fashion industry. H&M currently churns out 3 billion garments a year, and as of 2019, was sitting on... $4.1 billion worth of unsold clothes. I know H&M has since advertised various ambitious initiatives to take part in the sustainability agenda, but as things stand currently, there seems to be many issues, including that their statements, initiatives, and actions are quite vague, and I would even argue aligned with greenwashing. So seeing these H&M adverts on the pages of Vogue Scandinavia can send a very controversial and mixed message to Vogue's readers, even more so as we have praised Vogue Scandinavia on the clarity of the values they exhibit. But if we move on, um, this time around, my Vogue Scandinavia initiative on page 29 um, features another illustrator or more of a portrait artist. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is very exciting to me. As you know, I love any form of fashion illustration, and I'm glad to see more of it featured in Vogue, as it should be. Um, My Vogue Scandinavia is an initiative which enables anyone to be potentially featured on the pages of Vogue Scandinavia by using their hashtag MyVogueScandinavia on Instagram. Um, how do you feel about this um, illustration? 
well, I thought it was charming in the sense that I believe they even mentioned this, that um, she uses these lines to create obviously a portrait, but the way that she does it with its minimalist minimalism is very Scandinavian. And I agree. I think this is charming and um, very appealing, but you, you can definitely see a contemporary minimalism behind it, which um, I'm, I'm very glad that Vogue featured it. Indeed, um, I actually visited the artist's um, Instagram page, um, Chris Heglin Rinson. Um, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but the Instagram is very inspiring as well. Um, after that, we come on to some exciting fashion stories with the photo shoot series called First Looks. Mm -hmm. This season is all about body with silhouettes that celebrate the form with just a dash of crafty detail, they say. And we see an all-black outfit from Chanel, some strong colors, and even some retro vibes. Mm. Um, what I would say, however, is that, um, you know, let's take the image with the all-black outfit from Chanel. You know, I think the neon green background does not really make justice to the outfit. Um, it makes it feel and look a bit cheap. Wouldn't you agree? That's a very good point. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Benetton, that green, um, which I think was like a, one of the first fast fashion um, brands, if you will. Um, but yeah, for example, I wish they would have uh, followed the look of the photography that they had in the first two pages. Um, I think mm. that makes the whole, um, just the whole aesthetic seem a lot more clean and interesting and not take away from the actual design. Whereas in the next two pages, I'm looking at the green. I'm not necessarily looking at the, um, uh, at the, at the wonderful design of the all, all Chanel outfit. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, we have another great fashion story, The Tale of Cicely Bonson on page 48, in an extensive fashion photo shoot that took place outdoors called Superfly on page 68. We again see some guest appearances from wildlife as this gorgeous white owl is included in the shoot. You know, Maria, I love when animals are included with love and care, obviously. Um, and the page on 83 featuring a Chiaparelli couture gown, by the way, mm -hmm. is beyond amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, this emphasis on nature is very exciting to me. Uh, I think that portrays Scandinavia and the Nordic region just brilliantly as it truly is something very close to our hearts. Um, and I think that makes folks Scandinavia feel unique and special. I completely agree. And um, I'd just like to quickly highlight um, the spread on page 56 um, and mm. pages 59 onwards um, until page... 65 uh, in the sense that mm. I really appreciate that they featured a short story along with images from yeah. a, um, an Icelandic uh, artist and this is something that I've actually been missing from a Vogue publication something that goes a little bit beyond fashion in the sense that it gives the reader something to 
look forward to something to learn i think short stories always communicate mm. such wonderful wisdom and i i just wanted to say that i'm incredibly pleased to see this and the fact that it's accompanied by such beautiful uh, art makes it all the yes. more appealing the art is so impressive um i i i was really um impressed i i love that yeah um, but now, Maria, um, talk beauty to me. I'm very interested <laughs> to hear your thoughts on the beauty section. Well, for, for me, the, the beauty section starts with the boy in the pearl earring, where Indeed. we see Esteban uh, Villanueva um, discuss um, a very uh, personal story of his childhood, which um, involves his love and admiration and near obsession um, with pearls. Uh, may I just say I am also a pearl addict. I never take off my mm. pearl earrings. So if anyone Indeed. came in between me and my pearls, I would definitely be very hurt. Um, this story, however, despite having this wonderful love at its center, um, is quite sad and I would say difficult to read. I had to stop several times and I was definitely brought to tears. But I think it just shows a lot of courage and um, a lot of strength on the part of Esteban not only to put the story out there, but also um, just because of what he endured. But what I, I really want to stress is that um, I'm not going to discuss the story too much because I, I really want to encourage our listeners, if they can, to just go and read it because I cannot communicate Esteban's story or his words in the way that he did. He writes beautifully, I will say that, and it touched me profoundly because just the way he writes is very passionful. And essentially, he always has loved pearls, as did his mother. And one day he wore, um, I believe it was a necklace with a pendant of a pearl, and um, his mother said pearls aren't for boys aren't um, boys aren't meant mm. to wear pearls and from there we see his journey with um sort of embracing uh his love for pearls and for me it's just a shame that things that are meant to just capture beauty and um promote a sense of um passion i think pearls are deeply some are something deeply personal to people for example I, when i think of pearls i think of my grandma that kind of thing and perhaps that's why i love pearls so much so for me it's a mm. shame that we're sort of segmenting these things that are meant to be objects of beauty into men and female everyone should be allowed to um enjoy beauty and um Yes, if our listeners must take away something from this, I would definitely encourage it for it to be that they read the story for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I'm especially excited for Esteban as he's the only male beauty editor across all Vogues worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, so that's very exciting. Indeed. But what's um, next? Yeah. So uh, next, I would like to point to the heavy metal spread, which, um, mm. yeah, uh, w we see what we have seen, for example, in the previous Scandinavian Vogue, where we see beauty is high fashion and um, the result is astonishing. I particularly like this one because I love the way that we see just the beauty shining through the hair. For example, the hair and the makeup are almost part uh, one and the same, um, especially in the second set of photographs where we see a model of color with her gorgeous curly hair. 
and it, it's mm. just really different the um, the makeup they have done they have s stuck with a very dewy skin but f what i found interesting is that in my opinion this sort of deviates from the scandinavian aesthetic but it's different yeah. in the best kind of way it's challenging it's irreverent and the result is just astonishing really i see a lot of 80s inspiration as well with the greens yeah. and the pinks and the blues the metallics and the result is gorgeous for sure and um they tend to feature um scandinavian beauty brands as well and mm. it's just a wonderful result and um uh, if we turn to the next sort of spread which is entitled tough as nails we see something that is exceedingly different because whereas mm. perhaps we have seen beauty as fashion we haven't necessarily seen nails as fashion or as a fashion accessory and that is exactly what we're seeing here um so we are seeing evidently um the the nails but what i found very appealing is that nearly all of them have pendants or earrings attached to the nails that's what we see for example mm. in the first image and then we see the same thing in the next two images and it's just fascinating because they're firmly uh, being used here as a fashion statement but also a fashion accessory and um, I love the way it was photographed I genuinely do because you're not just seeing a model's hand for example you're seeing it as part of the model as part of her style and aesthetic and it's, it's outstanding I think so and I'm excited to see this emphasis on nail art because I have felt that way uh, numerous times that isn't nails equally part of beauty um, and mm -hmm. people's beauty regimen um, I know I get my nails done and I most often always have my nails painted and it's a big part of my mm -hmm. uh, you know my my beauty uh, the things in beauty that I enjoy and very often Vogue does not give nails and nail art um perhaps the emphasis that it would deserve um as part of beauty it's more like featuring a nail polish exactly. or a certain nail color here or there i'm very pleased with this and um before the beauty uh before the nail section i was also very excited to see this emphasis on makeup as um, most mm -hmm. people would probably agree that makeup is a part of um, big part of beauty and that was something that I was missing from the first issue of Vogue Scandinavia mm -hmm. um, with the beauty and the beach issue. Yeah. yeah, that one was definitely more of a holistic spread, you know, how to take care of yourself after the summer. Whereas this one, we see beauty shining through. We see all sorts of colorful makeup and colorful glittery lips shining through. And mm. yeah, the emphasis on nails beyond showcasing a nail polish is downright outstanding. And I especially liked the one with the black pointy nails and the model. She almost looks like a Madonna. It's wonderful. Yeah. But how do you feel about the fact that the Vogue Scandinavia's um, beauty section has a very different approach? They don't showcase any products, or at least we have not seen any products mm -hmm. in the two magazines we have reviewed. Um, we have said that British Vogue some has this product overload. Um but I do appreciate seeing some product reviews. Um, mm -hmm. Like we have said that Vogue Singapore, on the other hand, has this perfect balance. Yes. So what would you say about that? Well, 
I don't think it's necessarily right or wrong in the sense of only showing products or only showing um, makeup looks. It's just a question of how uh, the magazine or the publication is approaching um, uh, it's the aesthetic it wants to achieve with its beauty section. And it's clear to me here that Vogue Scandinavia doesn't want to um, promote um, consumerism when it comes to beauty. Mm. It wants to showcase what, in my opinion, beauty is all about, which is these wonderful looks. And it's integrating it into a high fashion um, standard, which I think is unique to um, to Vogue Scandinavia because they do it in a very particular um, original way. Um, but uh, as someone who's a beauty fanatic, I do appreciate seeing some beauty recommendations. Um, mm. But Vogue Scandinavia is doing things in their own way. And I respect that. I genuinely do. But I, like I said previously, I have a soft spot for Vogue Singapore because, it, like you said, it brings the best of both worlds together. But I don't think that Vogue Scandinavia is doing it necessarily um, wrong. I will say, however, as we have discussed many times, that British Vogue could use from a little bit of a dash of originality and uniqueness just because it's becoming a little bit too formulaic. But yes, I respect Vogue Scandinavia for what they're trying to achieve. Uh, I think this beauty as high fashion is impeccable. Indeed. Um, would you have any other further thoughts on the beauty section or do you, does that conclude um, our beauty talk for this episode? I think it concludes our beauty talk for, for this episode and um, definitely if our readers would be tempted to pick up this magazine, by all means do. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I think the beauty section is beautiful to look at. Um, the looks of with metallic and glossy eyes and glossy lips are um, outstanding. They feel very 80s and yeah, it's just a great and beautiful read. Well, indeed. Um, in that case, Maria, as we're approaching the end of our episode, um, and as we haven't covered the world of Vogue Scandinavia yet again, um, I would love to hear what is your Vogue Scandinavia highlights out of all the articles in this magazine this time around? Um, well, I really enjoyed the... Um the boy with the pearl earring article it oh, yes. touched me profoundly as i uh, suggested and said even um and for me uh, i think it's a must read and yeah mm. well a surprising highlight for me was the beta bergen article on page 85 um tom pattinson writes incredibly um on unassuming town in Norway, known to few, is the home to some of the biggest producers in music. Something is happening in Bergen. We went over there to meet with the local legends, Kaiko, Alan Walker, and Payday, to see what's in the rainwater. You know, first of all, um, it's crazy how all these big names in music happen to come from the same little town in Norway. We all know their music, we've all heard the hit songs, um, I am a big fan of the Kaiko remixes with the likes of Tina Turner and Whitney mm -hmm. Houston. Um, even more so as just last weekend, um, I went to see the Tina Turner musical in London. Oh. Um, what's love got to do with it is just, you know, it hits the spot. I love 80s <laughs> music absolutely. in general. But I absolutely love this piece, not only for Kaiko's boyish good looks, but for the images, writing, and atmosphere painted so skillfully by Tom Pattinson. Amazing. 
then um, we will come on to our rating. So far, we have been very impressed with both Scandinavia. So what do you have to say for the rating for this issue out of five stars? Hmm. I think for me, it would definitely have to be a four out of five, just because the issue was striking, as it usually is in the best way possible. Um, but mm. there were certain things, uh, like we discussed throughout the podcast, namely um, the fact that um, they publicized H&M and H&M Beauty, that you know sort of prevented it from getting a five out of five. Um, but I think it, it's a great read. The magazine is amazing. And yeah, I was really, really pleased. And as beauty editor to see um, the one and only male beauty editor featured and explaining his own story with such courage and visceral um, emotion um, was wonderful to me. So I think a four out of five for me would be the perfect rating. Yeah, I think this is a solid four out of five. I'm so pleased to see the diverse talent included in this issue, from My Vogue Scandinavia star to Siebel Amor, um, the Black Curve trans model. Um, we have an interesting and creative take on the beauty section, some great fashion and interesting stories representing the people and talent that Scandinavia beholds. I am very of going straight into a 5 out of 5 rating as then we are ultimately saying that every, everything in this magazine is done to the highest of standards. And quite frankly, I am confused by the H&M feature al alongside both Scandinavia's sustainable missions. So that's all I can say. But that then concludes this episode on Vogue Scandinavia. And you know what I want to say. In the world of fashion and in the world of Vogue, it is always about what's coming next. So stay tuned for our next episode out next week as we dive into the January issue of British Vogue. We hope you enjoyed this discussion uncovering the third issue of Vogue Scandinavia. Stay tuned for our next episode as we turn to the January issue of British Vogue, an acclaimed fashion revolution. In the meantime, you can head over to our Instagram at This Is Vogue Digest for additional daily material, including the most recent My Vogue story by a member of our community, our very own beauty editor, Maria. I'm, of course, your host, Josefina, and this is Vogue Digest.